Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Good morning, church. Our scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and Psalm 8, and you'll find both of these in your program or on the screen. Let us take a moment for a prayer of illumination. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Since we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth, make us hunger for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. Now please join me in reading Psalm 8, responding with the verses that appear in bold type. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and infants, to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion in the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our God, sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks be to God indeed. Last Sunday when we were together, we, and I hope you were here last Sunday, we had this glorious, glorious Easter service where we worshiped our Lord and our Savior as raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. And we also acknowledged that a day will come when our Lord will return and will usher in new heavens and a new earth. One of the things I was trying to do in the message on Sunday was to point out that the resurrection of Jesus clearly has to do with the resurrection of our bodies. The human body matters to God. It's not a disposable item. But on this first Sunday after Easter, I think it's also fitting as we continue to think about the resurrection that we connect the resurrection of Jesus to God's love for creation. I was thinking of a few verses, some of them you've already heard, but John 3.16 is one that comes to mind, 
We often hear it in a certain context, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and we use it in an evangelistic sense, and that is quite appropriate. When you go back and look at the word world, when God so loved the world, God so loved the cosmos, God so loved that which God created. And then you think of Genesis 1 and you read the creation narrative again, and what you hear repeatedly throughout that narrative is God saying, it is good. It is good. God refers to what God has made as that which is good. I love the words of uh, Calvin as he writes about creation. He says that creation is the theater, the theater of God's own glory. And we heard it in the hymn that we were singing, this is my father's world, the world, the cosmos created by God for God's glory and for our enjoyment. We heard it in the reading again in Psalm 8. The psalmist says, starting at verse 6, you have given them, us, human beings, dominion over the works of your hands. And we need to continuously redeem that word dominion, right? Because it doesn't mean we dominate or we exploit or we use that which has been stewarded to us for our own benefit, but dominion impl implies stewardship. It implies sustainability, not exploitation. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under their feet, and then you have this very broad list of animals, sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. God loves that which God has created. I remember back in 2019, it was in May of 2019, a group of our elders, our trustees, and our deacons met over in the, what we now call the, the, the choir rehearsal room. And we were there pretty much all that Friday, part Friday, and all day Saturday for what we were calling then a stewardship summit. And we had that summit not because we were trying to only think of ways to raise more money. We wanted a bigger vision on the meaning of stewardship. And one of the takeaways that I still have to this day is the reminder that biblical stewardship involves everything that God made. Everything. Yes, our money. But we don't stop there. Our time, our abilities and our gifts, but then creation. And so on this Creation Care Sunday, my goal this morning is to remind us of our calling to be good stewards of this world that God created and placed under our care. But I think in order to do this and to do it well, as, a, as Christians, we need to be reminded, we need to see that bigger vision of what the mission of the church is. And if I were to ask you, if I were to ask you, what is the first great commission that was given? Many of us would go here and cite this verse, right? And I don't think you would be wrong. Go, therefore, and really the command isn't to go, 
The command is to make disciples. That's where the command starts. That's the first great, some would say that's the first great commission, to go into all the nations and to, and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But how many of us would cite this verse as maybe the first commission, where after God created the man, God placed the man in the garden and commanded him to till it and to keep it, to steward it. The reason why I'm saying that, it's because years ago I read a very small booklet, it's maybe 20, 30 pages, written by Dr. Christopher H. Wright, somebody that this church knows who has spoken here on numerous occasions. He wrote that little book called The Mission of God and the Task of the Church, And in it, he talks about these five marks of the mission of the church. And I found it very helpful. And this is what it looks like, the five marks of the church. First of all, evangelism. And we are not ashamed of saying that is part of the mission of our church, that we are called to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and King and Savior. But the mission of the church also involves teaching where we're bringing people, hopefully, into maturity of faith and discipleship as they continue to submit their lives to Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. That's part of our mission. But it doesn't stop there. We have a mission of compassion, where we're called to follow the example of Jesus, we're told, where he went around doing good. Christians should be known for their compassion, for the good works that we do. But then we're also called to justice. And we remember that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the judge of all the earth. We say it in the Apostles' Creed that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And that sense of justice, of wanting to make things right, that is part of the mission that we have as the church. But how many of us would put within the mission of the church the care for creation? that we're called to handle very, very delicately, very carefully what belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ by right of creation and redemption. And at the very center of the mission of the church, you will notice, is the Lordship of Jesus, our Savior. Think about that for a moment. I also read in that same booklet some of the comments that Chris Wright had regarding how we as Christians respond to that fifth mark of the church, creation care. And let me read what he says. He says, it's baffling to me that there are so many Christians, including sadly and especially those who claim to be evangelicals, for whom this matter of creation care or ecological concern and action is weak and neglected at best and even rejected with hostile prejudice at worst. And we know that for a fact in our country. It's a very divisive topic. We have politicized it, and we actually sort of mark each other politically based on where we stand with our concern for the environment. And that's sad. It seems to me, uh, Dr. Wright continues, that the reason for this is a very defective theology of creation among contemporary evangelicals. To put it bluntly, some people seem to have damaged the Bibles in which the first two and the last two pages have been mysteriously been torn off. 
They start at Genesis 3 because they know all about sin. They end at Revelation 20 because they know all about the day of judgment. They are content, he says, with having their personal solution to the problem of sin and their personal security for the day of judgment provided, of course, by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And praise God, he says, I believe that too. However, the Bible has a much bigger story, the story of the whole creation within which my, our personal salvation fits. The Lordship of Jesus spans the whole story, and therefore I need to see him as Lord of my physical environment, as well as Lord of my spiritual salvation, and behave as disciples in relation to both. And so in preparation for my remarks this morning, I wanted us to then continue to think biblically and the theologically about creation care. And I went back in my files and read one section from the Cape Town Commitment, and some of you may know about that. In 2010, over 4,200 Christian leaders from around the world gathered for the Lausanne Conference that was held in Cape Town, South Africa, and one of the documents that they produced from their gathering was called the Cape Town Commitment. And there is a section within that document that talks about our love for the world. I think it starts out with love for God as our Father, love for the Son, love for the Spirit, love for God's Word, love for the church, but then it says love for the world. And let me quote a few lines for you from that section where the theologians who worked on this document wrote, we share God's passion for his world loving all that God has made, rejoicing in God's providence and justice throughout his creation, proclaiming the good news to all creation and all nations and longing for the day when the earth will be, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. We love the world of God's creation. This love is not mere sentimental affection for nature, which the Bible nowhere commands, still less is it pantheistic worship, which the Bible expressly forbids? Rather, it is the logical outworking of our love for God by caring for what belongs to God. The earth is the Lord. They quote Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the property of the God we claim to love and obey. We care for the earth most simply because it belongs to the one whom we call Lord. And it continues, the earth is created and sustained and redeemed by Christ while abusing what belongs to Christ by right of creation and redemption. We cannot claim to love God while abusing what belongs to Christ by right of creation, redemption, and inheritance. But we care for the earth and responsibly use its abundant resources, not according to the rationale of the secular world, but for the Lord's sake. If Jesus is Lord of all the earth, we cannot separate our relationship to Christ from how we act in relationship to the, to the world or to the earth. For to proclaim the gospel that says Jesus is Lord is to proclaim the gospel that includes the earth. 
since Christ's lordship is over all creation. And so creation care, which is what we're talking about this morning, is thus a gospel issue within the lordship of Christ. There's a lot of truth to that. And one of the ways I make this work for me, I think about whenever we've had a babysitter come to our home to watch our kids. I think there is a correlation between our care for creation and what a babysitter does. Because a babysitter temporarily acts as the child's primary caregiver, attending to the child's needs, keeping the child safe. The child does not belong to the babysitter, but the responsibility for that child's care does for a period of time. And similarly, we could then say that the earth is not ours, but we have been entrusted with caring for it, protecting what God has made so that it can be enjoyed for generations and generations to come. Some Christians think we only need to worry about the world's spiritual health. And that so long as we have salvation in Christ, what happens to God's creation as we await Christ's return is unimportant. And I will admit there have been seasons in my own thinking and in my own development where I focused only, only on the souls of people. But over the years, as I've continued to read and study, it's clear that the Bible indicates that Christ is about redeeming the whole earth, not just our souls. And one of the places where I see that, if you look at Isaiah 66, the last chapter of Isaiah, you see glimpses of God redeeming the whole earth. You can go to Revelation 21, where you see this idea of a new heaven and a new earth coming down from God. God is about redeeming all of humanity and the whole earth. Our new life in Christ consists then of a restored relationship with both God and creation. As people in the body of Christ, we and all of creation, we are moving steadily toward the fulfillment and the wholeness that God intended through Jesus Christ. And there's so many scriptures that would back that up, which we don't have time to, to dive into. And so, here is where we're going this morning. To do nothing to help care for the earth goes against some babysitting basics. When a child tries to play with fire, I'm hoping that the babysitter in our home will see that and intercept that child and take away that dangerous fire. That babysitter in our home, if the child runs out of the house and wants to run into the street, I'm praying that we hired a responsible babysitter who will run after the child and pick the child up before the child is struck by a vehicle. The babysitter needs to take immediate action to keep the child safe that's been placed in their care, or to use the words of Scripture, that's been placed under their dominion. And in a similar way, we're called to do the same. I love what St. Augustine says. St. Augustine says that hope has two 
beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Righteous anger at the way things are. And courage to see that they do not remain as they are. May God give us those twin daughters righteous anger and courage. Why do we need that? Because there is a lot of apathy when we think about the role that we can play in caring for this home that God has given to us. And the reason why there's apathy, it's because this is such a huge global problem that's affecting 7 billion and more residents on planet Earth. And you say to yourselves, well, if I pitch my garbage in a very unresponsible, in a a very irresponsible way, what difference will that make? If I take care of what I am doing with how much water I'm using, how much electricity I'm using, how large is my carbon print, how does that make a difference in the world? Well, that's the point we're trying to encourage of our congregation, that we can take hold of these twin daughters of righteous anger and courage and recognize that even in the small things that we do, we can make a difference and help to mitigate this large problem of climate change and the disaster that's happening to our environment. So a few things I would, I would encourage us to consider as we wrap up the service this morning. One is to, is to continue to educate ourselves. I'm grateful to God for the resources that we have in our library. I'm grateful to God for the resources that we have online. Lots and lots of of Christian organizations and other organizations who care about the state of the world are writing very profoundly, very clearly about what's happening around us. And I would encourage you to educate yourself. And let me tell you why. Because what education does, it increases awareness. And awareness then can also lead to a change in action. For example, one of the things that I learned years and years ago was just how long it takes for plastic to break down when it ends up in the landfill. Somewhere between 500 to 1,000 years. A single, a single plastic bottle of water filled with water that I drink and I just pitch it and it gets, ends up in the landfill or it ends up in the ocean, not realizing that in that moment, that plastic is going to sit there, it's going to pollute, it's going to harm the creatures in the ocean over the next five to a, 500 to 1,000 years. And so when I walk into the grocery store now, and this has been going on for years, and they say, paper or plastic. If I didn't bring my reusable bags with me, I will say, paper. Now, a small thing, but I believe that if all of us were to participate in that way, it will make a difference. Here's another thing that we need to think about as it regards plastic. And, and I want you to look, and I, and I hope these images I'm going to show you It will outrage you. You may already know this, but maybe it will spur you on to want to to rethink the way you handle the garbage you have at home. Our our ocean is awash with plastic. I saw a documentary a year or so ago where they were looking and spotlighting 
this, this, this island of waste, garbage, plastic that was floating out in the Pacific Ocean that was, they said it was larger than the state of Texas. And what that plastic is doing, it's killing the life that is in the ocean. In Seattle, a gray whale died. And when the scientists examined the gut of this gray whale, they found 20 plastic bags. They found sweatpants and an assortment of garbage within the gut of this whale. That it, it just doesn't break down. And they literally die of hunger. Look at this image of what was found in a, in a sea turtle. A sea turtle found in the Pacific Ocean had its debris, this debris in its stomach. And you can just see the bits and pieces of stuff that all of us use. Pieces of plastic and everything that ended up in the stomach of this turtle. This is a, a dead albatross chick that was found on, on Midway, the Midway Atoll Islands in the Pacific Ocean. And that stomach of that bird, and maybe some of you have seen this picture before, it was filled with plastic debris. And then this one really touched close to home because this fish lives in the, in the Caribbean Ocean, in the Caribbean Sea, where a plastic band is trapping the growth, restricting the growth of this blue-striped grunt fish that grows, that thrives in the Caribbean Sea. How did all these things get in the ocean? It's because of us, all of humanity, and our carelessness. So we need to educate ourselves when we, when we reduce the amount of, of, of trash that's in our home. And in, in some of the reading that I've been doing, we, just as the American population, we, we generate somewhere around 286 to 290 billion million tons of trash. And that works out to be 4.5 to 4.9 pounds of trash that we generate in our homes just about every day. Now, if, we're, if we educate ourselves and become very, very savvy in how we consume, we can reduce the amount of trash some might go into compost, some that we don't even bother to purchase anymore because it's that single-use kind of thing that gets into the ocean, that gets into our water, that gets into our bodies as microplastics and does so much damage to all of us. So we educate ourselves. And we've heard the call already in the prayer of, repent, in the prayer of confession. We heard it in the comments that were made. This need for us to repent and to ask God to help us in our ability to care for this earth. A posture of humility, a posture of repentance. Repentance has the power to evoke change, change in our attitudes, change in our values and in our lives. And then finally, we can take action. Take action as a church, take action as individuals. And I was thinking about our glorious physical plant that takes up a whole block. And we have, as a church, a very large carbon footprint. You just need to know that by looking at our gas bill and our electric bill and the amount of paper that we turn over every day 
And even as a church, we just need to come together and ask ourselves, what can we do to narrow the size, to, to reduce the size of our carbon footprint? For example, for example, on June 12th, we're planning a bike to church Sunday. And again, I won't be riding a bike. I, I wish I could, but I won't. It's, it, it's not practical for all of us. I think of where my daughter lives now, and she lives out in uh, Houston, Texas. And for her to get to church, she has to drive a car. There's just no transportation. But where it's possible, for some of you who live close enough, you can walk. For some of you who are willing to ride, you're close enough, you can ride. The whole idea is just to think about how we can reduce our imprint as we care for this world. Small changes, small changes can make a big difference in the world. I've talked to the trustees already about this, and there are lots of complications to accomplish this, but at least they were willing to talk about it. I had suggested to them, what would happen if we were to, we were to put on our roof of our church solar panels, a renewable form of, it, of energy? So again, we're reducing the amount of energy. It's a money-saving uh, move, and it helps the environment. And there are a lot of complications related to that. We're, we're, we're not throwing the idea out, we're thinking about it. But these small changes can make a big difference in the world. I read uh, a quote from Carl Sagan's book, The Pale Blue Dot, the late Carl Sagan. I don't agree with everything he says, but what he says here is very true. He says, look, there is no plan planet B the earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes. Settle, not yet, he says. Like it or not, the earth is where we make our stand. And I agree with him. This is our Father's world. This is the home that our Father has placed us on. And as Christians, then, we must be at the forefront of bringing glory to God, of exalting the name of Jesus by how we respond and care in small ways and large ways for this world that has been given to us. We wait for that day, Isaiah says, when the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And that day hasn't come yet, but we are working toward that day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen, my brothers and sisters.